Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. Where you put a four-year-old alone in a room yeah. and you give them a marshmallow and you tell them that you know, if you're, if you're going to come back in 15 minutes, if the marshmallow is still there, you'll give them a second one. Yes, we're talking marshmallows and a whole bunch of other more interesting stuff with the brilliant William Gathright, CEO of Tumalo. Stay tuned. Yes, hello, welcome back. This is episode 13 of The Better Business Show. It's Monday the 11th of April 2016. I'm Tom Idle. Very much appreciate your tuning in. Thanks for being there. Uh, Before we get stuck into this week's show, I just want to take a moment to point you to a few things. uh, Ways that you can engage more with the show during the week. Uh, First of all, you can subscribe to the show. Uh, You can use iTunes or SoundCloud to do that. We're also available on on Deezer, on Stitcher, on TuneIn. Uh, So plenty of ways that you can listen to the show uh, using your smartphone or your iPad or your computer. If you're on iTunes right now, then please do take a moment to give us a review and a rating. I know I say this pretty much every week, but it's so important to us in uh, in maintaining our presence on the iTunes podcast store, uh, which is absolutely brilliant for reaching out to find new listeners for us and building this community uh, of listeners. So please, please do that. I really appreciate that. And then during the week, I regularly post updates and notifications during um, uh, about the show on, on social media. And I use a whole range of social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter, at Tom Idle. Uh, we also have a Facebook page for Narrative Matters, which is my company, which is the company that, that produces this show. Uh, and you can use Twitter and Facebook to tell me what you think of the show, tell me uh, who else you'd like to be featured on the show. Uh, just just say hello, whatever, I'd love that. So if you, if you could do that during the week, that would be brilliant. Also, if you head over to the homepage of The Better Business Show, just go to betterbusiness.show. Uh, you'll see the homepage there. You'll find all the shows, uh, all 13 of them now. I can't, can't believe we've actually made it to, to episode 13. Amazing. Uh, all the notes to the shows are on there. Pictures of our guests, all of the links to all the reference points. You'll find everything on online. Uh, and if you scroll a bit further down uh, on that homepage, just slightly down, you'll see a, a box that lets you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. So do that and we'll send you a lovely little mailer every week pointing you to yeah, pointing out all the things that we're up to on the Better Business Show um, and obviously notifying you when a new show is released also. I think that's it for now. On with the show. So not one, but two guests for you this week. Uh, we're first going to hear from William Gathright. You heard him at the outset of the of this episode. He is the CEO of a company called Tumalo. Um, the subject of energy storage is one we explored uh, during the second episode of The Better Business Show when we met with Eric Nygaard, the co-founder of the rather brilliant Lime Jump. And it's a subject that we return to once again for this episode, and with good reason. Energy storage is inherently risky for many new customers. There's not many businesses out there that can confidently make big investments right now, or any time really, in, in, in infrastructure that takes advantage of new technology, which is you know so very new and frankly largely unproven so far. But Tumalo, as you'll find out, has proposed a new financing model to solve that very problem. You see, Tumalo 
is not your typical energy storage startup. I'll let William Gathright let, tell you more about how he hopes his model could change the landscape for energy storage in the future. William, great to speak to you. How are you doing, Tom? Thanks for having me. Great stuff. There's, there's a great video on the homepage of your website, which rather brilliantly explains Tumalo. Um, basically, you, you, know, you claim to reduce the electricity bill for businesses without expecting them to invest or, or give any money up front. Uh, all sounds too good to be true. So you know, give, me, give me in a nutshell, give me the elevator pitch for Tumalo. Yeah, well, you, you, you exactly nailed it. So it turns out that your business, if it's like many others out there, actually spends hundreds of times more for some of your electricity every month uh, than it needs to. And this is due to something called a demand charge. So at the end of every month, your utility actually looks back over the month, finds the half hour or so where you used the most energy, right, just mm -hmm. half an hour, and then charges you a surcharge based on that. And so energy used during that half hour actually costs you, again, hundreds of times more than energy used the rest of the month. Okay. So with this in mind, we have installed, we can come to your building, we can install a, a, a battery energy storage unit, essentially a large stationary battery, and that'll sense when your building is setting this demand charge. When it does that, it'll supplement the power that you're buying from the grid with the battery power. So you just buy less power from the grid during that very critical time, and it saves you some money on your power bill. Brilliant. So you, you install battery storage. Is there anything unique about the actual battery technology that you're using? No, so Tumalo is a software company. So we're, we, we like to say we're hardware agnostic, and that's a very good thing <laughs> for you as a business owner because uh, there's lots of really smart people out there making batteries, and they're good for different things. So we'll take a look at your business. We'll see uh, you know, exactly what your needs are. Some folks need higher power. Some folks need sort of more energy for longer runtime. And then we'll and then we'll find you know the sort of the best fit between the business and the and the battery. Okay, but you're but you're paying for the cost of it, the installation of those batteries. How, how do you, how does your kind of commercial model work? Yeah, that's right. So so essentially, you know, we we sort of separate you know the benefits from the costs, right, and find the people that are best equipped to to enjoy each of those. So you know, the the business really just wants a lower electric bill. Many of these folks want it at no upfront cost. Um, so on the, on the other side, there has to be an investor who understands the upfront cost, who understands the, the devices, and also who understands some of the tax implications of owning these devices. Um, yeah. And so, you know, between, and, and, and that's often not the business owner. And so by separating those, we can give, you know, each side a good deal. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, so who are you working with right now? What, what, what's your clients like? Uh, it's it's really a mix. So we're excited to to be able to put in our pilot site in the in the you know coming weeks here uh, in collaboration with Virginia Tech. So our first ever installation is going to go in at a Virginia Tech building, just you know right down the street here in in, in Old Town Alexandria in Virginia. Okay. Um, and then after, you know looking a little further afield, it's it's like I said, it's really a big mix. You know, there's grocery stores or golf clubs or schools, uh, you know, community colleges. So it's it's, uh, you know, sort of in interest has come from across the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so what sort of savings do you, do you project then? What, what can you do for these, these uh, property owners? Well, it really depends. So the, the demand charge that I alluded to earlier can actually make up a, a large percentage of your bill up to, I've, I've seen demand charges up to 70% or sometimes more of a bill. And so with that in mind, we can actually reduce an electric bill, uh, you know, maybe between 10 and let's say 25 percent um you know e each each month 
Yeah, which is for some companies, it's going to be a huge amount of uh, you know huge saving there, isn't it? It, it, it can be substantial, and because this is just a cost savings, it all works automatically. It's all actually invisible to the people in the buildings. Nothing's gonna, you're not even going to know that this thing is kicking on. The lights won't flicker or anything. Um, sure. you know, all of that money just pretty much flows to the bottom line. So for some businesses, again, like grocery stores that run on very thin margins, uh, this can make a big difference. Yeah, sure. And, and what about you, William? What's, what's your background? How did you get into this? Yeah, sure. So I have a background in sort of scientific computing. So I, I have a PhD in material science from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And I was working out of the, you know, the, the doing some fuel cell research for RPI. And, you know, essentially solving very big optimization problems for my doctorate around fuel cells. Right. And learned a number of things in grad school, including that I really didn't want to be in the fuel cell business when I got out of it. And right. so I was kind of looking around for something, you know, something else to do and and you know took a really diligent look at what i thought the grid and and sort of the energy mix would be like in the future and there really was no credible uh you know no credible scenario where energy storage wasn't a big part of that so that's that seemed like a big opportunity because there was almost none of it at the time Mm. Uh, and so you know really took a good hard look at that from there right And, and what does the opportunity look like uh, for you, I mean, there can't be you know too many businesses or schools or universities uh, that that don't want to or, or need to save energy. I mean, you know, the world is your oyster, isn't it? I think the opportunity is yeah is 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 big. This is sort of the next piece of distributed electrical infrastructure. We saw what this what, you know we really saw what the upside can look like with with solar, which is still going on. Right, people are putting up solar panels in just massive numbers, and. You know, I think there will come a time when there will be a battery, probably not in every building, but in a, you know, in, in, in a great many of them, because having sort of siting the electrical infrastructure close to the load is incredibly valuable because that's 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 who's using this electricity. So why not, you know, sort of make it and store it there as close as you can? Sure, sure. And and what's in the name? What does Tumalo mean? <laughs> so so Tumalo is a mashup of two words, two marshmallows. And we're, and we're named after a very famous psychology experiment that was done at the University of Stanford. You might, some of your listeners might be familiar with this, um, where you put a four-year-old alone in a room yeah. and you give them a marshmallow and you tell them that you know, if you're going to come back in 15 minutes, if the marshmallow is still there, you'll give them a second one. Right. right. And so some of these results were really predictable. I think you can actually find videos of this experiment on YouTube, right? Some kids ate the marshmallow right away, and some sort of distracted themselves by sitting in the corner, singing a song, or what have you. Um, <laughs> but, but some of the results were less predictable, right? So when they followed up with these kids years later, they actually found that the two marshmallow eaters were more successful in almost any metric you cared to, to ask about. They were, you know... They self-reported to be happier. They were better educated. They were less likely to addicted to be addicted to drugs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and and so I thought it was sort of a nice allegory for really what what we need um, in in you know in in terms of moving forward to the to the sort of next generation of grid. I think that again we took a really sort of hard look at what the what the energy mix is going to look like in the future and and. I tell you what, it's it's a lot of delayed gratification, right? It's a lot of making tough choices and big mm. investments here. But if you make those investments, you know there will be a payoff off down the line. I, th- I think we can get our second marshmallow on this one. Sure. 
I mean, they often say that you know the best ideas are the simplest. Is I love the idea of what you're what you're trying to do with with Tumalo. So uh, I wish you all the very best with it. Where where can f- people find out more about what you're up to or get in touch? Have you got a website? Absolutely. So the website is just tumalo.com, T-U-M-A-L-O-W. You can email us at info at tumalo.com and also follow us on Twitter. So we're at Tumalo. Great stuff. William, thank you very much for for joining us here on the Better Business Show. Good luck with it and uh, no doubt we'll be seeing you again soon. Really appreciate it, Tom. Thanks again. William Gathright there, CEO of Tumalo. You can find out more about the business by heading over to betterbusiness.show where you'll find this week's show notes with some pictures of William and all the links to the company's website and all of the again of the, the reference points. The old adage, the customer is king, is now more true than ever. Uh, social media has exploded and it's given this voice and this way of communicating and connecting to the man on the street like never before. And it's little wonder that so many business decisions are actually based solely upon what customers need and want and what they're talking about. And it's also no surprise that people that work in corporate sustainability in these big businesses have increasingly been keen to connect their efforts to these same consumer desires. And they're using market needs to better inform their decision making and also to justify investments. It all makes sense really. And so engaging consumers with stories about how responsible and how sustainable your company is and what innovations you've come up with or what values you have or what purpose you've developed has become this all-important part of marketing and communications for big business. Not only making sure that what your business deems to be important is actually aligned to the values of your customers, but also in mitigating the reputational risks attached to well, sending your customers down a, a blind path, misleading them about what it is you're up to, or worse still, actually being targeted by an NGO. Uh, awful, awful, awful worry for, for lots of companies. And actually, there's a few, only a few that are really getting this right. I can point to companies like Unilever, as everyone does, its sustainable living plan, which seems to be working. Uh, the brands, the so-called sustainable living brands, accounted for half the company's growth in 2014, and they grew, they grew at twice the rate of the rest of the business. Uh, so something's working there. Other examples, Patagonia, the outdoor clothing company, has huge levels of engagement with its with its loyal customer base who seem to be fully wedded to its ideals around kind of anti-fast fashion. Um, but, you know, examples are thin on the ground. And, and so far, I think companies have struggled to really engage consumers in a way that will connect the dots between responsibility and commerciality. And I think on the whole, customers are pretty unexcited about about sustainability. They're tired of cliched doom mongering when it comes to messages about climate change and environmental destruction and resource scarcity. Now my next guest on the show, and our second guest of the week, uh, is a man that knows only too well the struggles of trying to get customers excited about this stuff. Uh, But he did have some great results. Jake Backus is the former Customer Sustainability Director at Coca-Cola in Europe, and uh, he gives us some great insights into his work. Uh, let's, let's, let's hear from Jake. Jake, why does the business community find it so hard to connect stories about being good, about being responsible, you know, the traditional sustainability messages uh, with, with customers? What's going wrong in your eyes? There's a lot going wrong, and it's, there's, it's deep and multifaceted. The first thing is I don't think that business really understands the role of where sustainability fits 
within the you know within the brand voice, for example, nor does it really have the right language. So it's really not about sustainability. Um, and, and some brand managers seem to do marketing by asking the consumer what they need to do, so consumer insights. And sustainability often doesn't figure very highly in, in consumer research. It's not a top priority for consumers or, or shoppers at the point of purchase, but that's really to misinterpret the, uh, the, the, the question. So they've even got the wrong question. Um, uh, because it does, it is important to consumers, but not necessarily at the point of purchase. So they mm. need to better understand the values action uh, gap. And the values action gap is essentially an opportunity for the company to fulfill that unmet need and understand the barriers as to why the consumer uh, isn't, you know, being more sustainable or finds it hard to be more sustainable. Uh, mm. But some companies don't even try. I think they... Um, they don't do something because they cannot do everything, you know. And and mm. and I think also so many companies they don't get even the positioning right. Uh, it, it has to be relevant to the company, and it has to be really authentic to the brand. And it does, definitely doesn't want to be sort of tokenism. You mm. know, brands are not there to sell sustainability. Um, for most brands, it's not their first priority, but it could be, you know, a, a secondary attribute to build trust. Uh, and make the consumers feel sort of good about themselves and about their purchase. Sure. And and so what did you do at Coke? I mean, you had, what, 16 years at, at Coke, the last seven of which you were looking at this stuff, you know, trying to get customers engaged. And, of course, not just consumers, but also your customers of the retail uh, sector. What, what did you do at, at Coke? What was your strategy? Uh, my strategy is essentially is, is to sell. So the best way to sell anything or even to sell sustainability internally uh, is to listen. And ultimately, you can go and talk to a brand manager or somebody else in the business and say, you know, let's save the planet and let's make, you know, do all of the things for the right reason. But they don't have, even if they, you know, genuinely shared those values and wanted to do it, they don't have permission to do it because... You know, their performance-related pay and their metrics might be sales, profit, uh, you know, and share price. So you have to listen and understand what are their objectives, what are their challenges, and then to demonstrate how sustainability to, can contribute to what they are trying to achieve. So if it's sales, that's fine. We can talk about sales. But if it's about brand trust and reputation, then you can articulate to what extent does sustainability support, you know, brand trust and reputation if it's a purchasing team, it's about security of supply, avoiding commodity price shocks, you know, uh, and making sure that you have a long-term sustainable supply chain. So it really is about uh, listening. Mm, sure. And I guess, you know, CSR, sustainability and, and, and comms, brand, marketing, marketing have not really been natural bedfellows over the years. And I guess... You know, presumably, you know, once you get some breakthroughs, it then becomes easier to kind of prove that case internally and, and give marketing teams the confidence to kind of speak to customers. But I guess it's about finding the right language, is it? Well, I think there's a fundamental shift in the way we do business. And business often continues to work in silos. And I used to be a brand manager. And it's no longer enough for marketing to do what marketing does and leave it to public affairs to pick up the pieces. So ultimately, you know, the brands have a real role to play. They are how the company often communicates externally, uh, certainly to the consumers, the people who provide, you know, uh, 
value for the business and keep the business going and, and customers. And it has a much more integrated role to, to, to people need to be better connected and uh, working cross-functionally and really need to understand how everything's connected. A brand needs to know when, you, when a consumer reaches for your product on the shelf, they should not need to question, you know, is, is that good for the environment? Is, is that packaging recyclable? Uh, was child labor used to make this product? How far has it come? Uh, is it safe for me? These questions, you know, uh, are also the responsibility of the marketing department, and they need to find the right voice and way to de-risk that for the consumer, but also make the consumer feel good about their purchase, uh, you know, and the, the, help the consumer feel that that brand and that company shares, you know, the same values as them. Mm. Yeah, and we keep being told that, you know, engaging consumers to to think about social and environmental issues uh, should actually be getting easier. And, of course, we had the, the BBMG and the GlobeScan study uh, a year or so ago now that, that made this great thing about the emergence of the so-called aspirational, these sort of millennials who, you know, they're just, just as interested in shopping and style as they are in kind of responsible consumption. Um, and they're actually increasingly, we're, be, we're being told, demanding more from from the, bar, the you know the brands they know and love. Um, what's your what's your take on that? Is it getting easier to talk about these issues, you know, like climate change and resource scarcity, to this new millennial audience? There's a lot packaged up in what you your question really is not the role of brands to tell or teach people about sustainability, although you know let, it, it, it'd be helpful, but to really uh, help the consumers be more sustainable and create value for them. Uh, and so each brand and each company needs to understand or, or at least question itself what's its right to exist. How can that company be purposeful? Uh, and if, you know, consumers uh, or businesses would be greener tomorrow if consumers only said it was important. So how can we, you know, suggest to consumers, you, you need to challenge, you need to question, you need to... Uh, ask us to be more sustainable because we're ready. We're ready to do that. But with regard to millennials, it's 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 tough. It's complicated. I have two millennials at home. You know, sixteen-year-old and a thirteen-year-old, mm. uh, and they don't listen to anything I say. So <laughs> communicating with them is difficult. So I think they learn through osmosis, yeah. uh, and I think my children learn through my actions. Mm. But I don't know that we have permission to engage the consumer tell millennials what to do if we haven't yet done it ourselves so they are not living in a world where people older than them are living you know you know and demonstrating the values and living more sustainably so we have to do it on their terms and not mm. they need to get out of our own heads uh, and try telling them what to do so you know for sure there's a, there's a long way to go but also i think people learn things best through experiencing it uh, mm. and uh, to, to really take it on board. So unless we can show and demonstrate in a sort of test case or test the way uh, how people can experience and feel good about being positive, then they'll soon, you know, being experience it, you know, from a negative point of view and want and demand more action to be taken more quickly. Mm. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a, Jake, it's a fascinating subject and one I'm sure we'll come back to a lot on the Better Business Show. Uh, but really appreciate your, your insight. Thank you very much. What, what are you up to now anyway, Jake? You, are you heading back into the, the corporate world at some point again? Um, well, 
I want to be purposeful. I want to try to make a you know genuine positive you know impact. And for me, one of the biggest problems in the whole subject of sustainability is communication. So, you know, whether you're a scientist who writes you know huge documents which nobody reads, and it's certainly not in the language of CEOs and politicians, uh, and, and whether it's this whole subject of consumer shopper engagement, but. I've got a folder in my computer with about a hundred documents to read, and I've never read it. Uh, <laughs> and even if I did read it, I can't translate that into the language of my CEO because I don't have time. So there's a, I think there's a real role to play in 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 doing that. And I think a, a, a great place to focus is students, uh, research. Yep. Uh, I'd love to create a, a role for myself at uh, at a major university, perhaps Oxford University, where. You know, you can start to integrate sustainability into the curriculum and to really make a better connection between, you know, universities and, and business. So that's, uh, that's my main focus. If it doesn't work out, I'll probably have to get a proper job. <laughs> well, we wish you luck with it and uh, we look forward to seeing what you do next. But thanks for your time, Jake. Thanks very much, Tom. Jake Backus there, the former Customer Sustainability Director for Coca-Cola in Europe. Um, Well, that's it for another week here on The Better Business Show. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.